Praise God. Yes. Praise God. If you didn't hear that or if you are not aware, if, you, if you're just coming in after all of the tragedy at Marshall County High School, Gage is Debbie's nephew that we've been praying for. He was one of the ones who was shot. And she said he is physically doing very well. But he also told her that he feels like God spared his life for a reason. He feels like God's got some type of call on his life. And I, I believe we're going to see that story repeated again and again and again so praise God for that continue to pray for Gage and his family twice wow wow so. amen it's been spared twice praise God I want to say something, too, before we turn. I want you, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 13. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but I want to say something just in relation to what the Holy Spirit was speaking this morning uh, to the two individuals. I don't know exactly who you were, and there may have been more than that. I want you to know everything that happened at this altar this morning, and I think there were some very good things that happened at this altar this morning. I could just sense that as we were praying. That was birthed in prayer way before today began. And for, for those of you who are birthing things in prayer, there's the, I just I really feel like the Holy Spirit speaking. What, the, the enemy is subtle. And sometimes if he can't trip us up, I'm going to teach just a minute, and this is a brief teaching just for a few people, but I'm only going to take a minute or two, okay? Sometimes if the enemy can't trip us up with bad things, he takes good things and tries to destroy us that way. Evan Roberts was one of the greatest evangelists of, of the Hebrides Welch Revival. Very young man. He was used so powerfully by God to shake and change nations. But he spurned the counsel of a lot of folks older than he was, telling him, you're, you're, you're running too much, you're doing too much. What God's doing through you is so often, you need, so awesome. You need to preserve some of this. You need to rest some. And he felt in his mind that the call and the burden was so strong he couldn't rest and sure enough his life was snapped out at a very young age and that man walked in the more, more power of God than probably very few people that walked the planet and you know it could be discussed about what he should or should not but but the the general consensus is that quite frankly he should have listened to the advice of some of maybe his elders who kind of told him it's good what you're doing but it's also good to rest 
And, and so the Holy Spirit, I really feel like it's saying, what happened is birthed in prayer. And it was birthed before this morning ever began. And when God puts something on you, always, always, always know. He doesn't put it on you to keep. I'm talking about a burden of intercession. And those of you who intercede know exactly what I'm talking about. When God puts that on you, He doesn't put it on you to keep. He puts it on you to let go in prayer and then completely release if you don't learn, and I'm speaking specifically, if you don't learn to release, then the enemy can in turn turn around and cause difficulty physically and emotionally in your life by wearing you down. And that doesn't have to be that way. Because you're, you need to understand, God doesn't have to, his arm doesn't have to be twisted. You, you, don't, you don't have to do anything. God wants to heal the sick more than we want the sick healed. God wants to save the lost more than we want the lost saved. God wants to deliver and set captives free way more than you and I do. So we've got to learn when we go in to intercede, we're not trying to convince God to, well, you, you say, well, I'm not. I know, I'm just trying to defeat the power of the enemy. Guess what? He already did that. So you're also not trying to do that. If you think you're defeating the enemy, you're way off track already because Jesus defeated anything that you're going to do. Jesus did everything needs to be done to defeat the enemy. So what you're doing is you're taking whatever God gave you because at that point, the reason he gives you, I, I just feel like I've got to teach this for some of you because the enemy's going to try to wear some of you down if you don't get this. Because God's getting ready to birth a powerful movement in prayer. So this is why I've got to say this now. See, the, the reason God gives you these burdens, for lack of a better term, is because he's getting ready to address that situation. Okay? It's not because he wants you to carry it, because if you don't carry it, he can't do anything about it. For goodness sakes, folks, God's God. I mean, if he's got to have your help carrying it, we might as well all quit today. Okay? He's God. The reason he puts that burden on you is because that means he's getting ready to address that situation. So he gives it to you to take it to him and become a partner with him, preparing the atmosphere spiritually over the mind and the heart and the life of that person. And you can do that in your bedroom or you can do that in the prayer room. You, can, you don't have to be in that person's physical presence to do that. Folks, we do not understand the power of prayer. We do not understand that God can move from great distances. So when you're doing that, once you're finished with that, then this is what God's saying to you. He didn't give you that burden to keep. Then it's time to let go of that burden and rest in the presence of the Lord. If you do that, then he can continue to do that through your life because you're not going to allow that burden then to wait on you. Because if he, if he sees that you're going to allow that to rest on you, it can, can begin to cause, that's the way the enemy can kind of deceive and trip up. I believe that's a word from the Lord for, for some folks today. So just doing a little bit of teaching there. Now let's move on to the message because this is for everybody in the room. In Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to look with me at verse 12. It says, Therefore Jesus, also that he might sanctify, that word sanctify means set apart, the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. I want you to really pay attention to verse 14. For we have no continuing city here, but we seek the one to come. Where we place our focus is extremely important. 
Now, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the seat. It was the, 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 the focal point of the Old Testament Jewish religion. The temple was in Jerusalem. All the sacrifices, the feasts, uh, all of the high religious observances took place there. It was very, very important, particularly under the Old Covenant, that, that everything be perfect and everything be right and you be able to be declared clean ceremonially and religiously so that when it was time to offer sacrifices or participate in the festivals, you were able to get in. Now, you couldn't go in under the Old Covenant to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God actually rested on the Ark of the Covenant. Only the high priest could do that. And he could only do it once a year on the Day of Atonement. But you could get into the outer courts. Even the Gentiles could. There was a place called the Courtyard of the Gentiles. and There was a place where even they could go, but they were outside. But everything else took place within the city of Jerusalem. Everything that was worship, everything that was religious, everything that dwelt with faith took place there. But the religious world that focused so much on what people were or were not doing, focused so much on the sacrifices and all those type of things, was turned on its head by Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. So Jesus came to be the once and for all sacrifice for everyone who would trust in Him and believe in Him. And don't ever miss this. All throughout the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus made clear who he was, and he made clear what he came to do. And believe me, the Pharisees and religious rulers knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. That's why they wanted to kill him so bad. They were constantly looking for an opportunity to kill him because they knew he was a revolutionary. He was about to turn their religious world upside down. And so in the process of all of that, Jesus wound up making his sacrifice on the hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, which was outside the gates of the city. It's interesting that the Lamb of God, God Himself in human flesh, had to go outside of where religion, worship of God was practiced to actually make the sacrifice that needed to be made because He Himself was not received where religion ruled. Let me say that one more time. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was not received where religion ruled. See, religion always looks on the outside. Always. Religion can't operate apart from looking on the outside. All judgments, all criteria focus on the outside. And from the outside looking in, the religious elite judged Jesus as unworthy. They judged Jesus as unclean. They judged Jesus as, as blasphemous. And so therefore Jesus had to go outside the gates, outside of normal religious life. To make his sacrifice. And therefore he did. And then the Bible tells us as believers. And by the way this letter was written to Hebrew Christians. Okay. So the Bible tells us now as believers. That if we're going to go to Jesus. We've got to go to him outside those same gates. Otherwise we've got to get outside of the realm of, of religion. We've got to get outside of the realm of the focus on the outward man. Can I tell you something? I hope and I pray, sometimes I fail, but I hope and I pray that I've been in this long enough that I have stopped being impressed by the things I see in here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, or anything that I see in here on the outside. Because every bit of that can be fake. Didn't mean to offend you. I can be fake. 
Everything you see out here can all be hyped up, and I'm not saying it is, because it can also be beautifully authentic and real. But my point is, if we're judging outwardly, you can look at somebody on the outside and say, hmm, they don't meet my approval. I don't quite approve. And you can miss it by a mile because you don't see the inside. So why, that's why the Bible says, do not compare yourselves with yourselves. All such comparison is foolishness. Now that word foolishness is important because the Bible says a fool is someone who said in his heart there is no God. So the fool, or to walk or live or judge foolishly, means we're living or judging or reacting as if God is not engaged and God is not involved and God doesn't have a word in the process. Otherwise, when we judge people or judge situations on the outward, we are putting our wisdom and our standards above God's. Now, God makes something very clear in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, be careful when you judge. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Because he says, with the same judgment that you judge others, you will be judged. So that's why I made a decision some time ago. As much as possible, I'm going to give as much grace as I can. Do you know why? Because the Bible says I'm going to be judged the same way I judge others. I don't know about you, but I want to be judged with grace. So if I'm going to be judged with grace, that means I'm going to have to give grace. Okay? So, but the, but the important thing we need to get because some of you have done this, and man, you're the one I believe the Lord's sending this for today, primarily. You have jumped through every religious hoop that you know how to jump through. Somebody said, read this, you've read it. Somebody said, do this program, you've done it five times. Somebody said, fast, somebody says, fast, no problem, I'll fast. If you say fast one meal a day, I'm going to fast all week long. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to do whatever it takes. If somebody said pray an hour, you're going to add a half hour to it. You're going to try to pray for an hour and a half. If somebody said pray for all the missionaries, you're going to literally go out and try to get every name of every missionary in every country so that you can pray for everyone. You have jumped through the hoops. If there's a ministry, you've done it. If there's tithing, you've done it. You've jumped through. You may not be doing it now, but boy, there was a time when you did it. You jumped through every hoop. If you're not doing it now, I could almost guess the reason why. It's because jumping through all those hoops did not bring you peace. And when you got to the end of the day, you were still frustrated. And when you got to the end of the day, you were still battling the same emotional battles. And when you got to the end of the day, you were still having the same mental things going on through your mind that you battled with before you started. You might get a little bit better in the midst of, if you're truly reading the Scripture, but then everything comes back because what you're focusing on, and, and, and you can tell if you're one of these people if this is the way you pray, but God, I've been doing this Bible study program. God, I've been in church every time. That, God, I'm a tither. God, I, you see how I worship God. I'm involved in every ministry I can. When are you going to do? Do you notice that little bargaining you made with God right there? Did you catch that? You're using whatever it is you're doing that in and of itself is a good thing as a bargaining chip. It's like you're coming before God and you're saying, Okay, God... Now, now get the audacity of this God, the ruler of all the universe, who spoke everything into being with a word of his power, and you're saying, now, God, you have to do this for me because I did that. And here's the thing. I love, and I quoted in the, thing, uh, the, the worship today, one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament is when Jesus, on purpose, 
says some very hard things because there were all kinds of crowds following Jesus at this point. When I say crowds, I mean multiplied thousands of people at a time were following him because he had multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He had raised the dead. He had healed the sick. And man, he had a whole big crowd of people who were following him along with his disciples whom he had called. So he starts at one point in the Gospel of John teaching some very hard truths, things that I believe he knew would be hard for people to handle. Because the Bible says that Jesus knew the heart of all men. He knew the ones who were going to be true to him, and he knew the ones who were not. The Bible says when he called his disciples, he knew the one who would betray him before he ever called him. He already knew those things. So when he speaks these hard things, the Bible says people just began to turn and walk away from him by the droves. <laughs> multitudes were following him, and then he says some hard things that they didn't like. They turn around, and they start leaving by the multitudes. Even some of his disciples, it says... But then he turns to the twelve, and this one's the first times you see that term, the twelve. He turns to the twelve, and he says, will you also go away? Now notice Jesus gave him a choice. You can leave if you want to. Are you going to leave me too? And this is when Peter steps up as a spokesman for the rest of them. And this time, boy, did he ever get it right. He says, where else could we go? Only you have the words, notice this, of life. Only you. Only you. Now, now, I think it's important that we recognize that before Jesus ever called them, these guys had been disciples, some of them, of John the Baptist. That's how they knew they were, they were following John the Baptist. And John pointed to Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. And at the very least, John and Andrew were in that group, probably a few others, most likely Peter and James as well. So they already knew scriptures as, as good, orthodox, Jewish young men. They had memorized the scriptures by this age. They had participated in sacrifices. They had participated. They had followed the law. And yet, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, and you, could, you could say this, I followed the law. I've been to the temple repeatedly. I've made my sacrifices. I've memorized the scriptures. But only you have the words of life. I want to say something to some of you today before we move any further. The ministry and the calling that you have may very well be from God. But your ministry and calling does not have the life in it. Only Jesus has life. You can follow your ministry and calling and be unbelievably faithful to it and die in it if you miss Jesus. Depends on where your focus is at. Church. Church, if, it's, if church is a place where we truly worship Jesus and where we truly hear God's word and we truly fellowship with God's people, church can be a wonderful thing. And the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together with the saints and even more as we see the day approaching. So we should go to church. The Bible says God's placed people in families and those families he's placed them is, is, is a church family. So it's very important. However, if you look at church as your life, you'll die in church. Because only Jesus has the words of life. Depends on where your focus is at. So you're saying that I can come to church, Pastor, and have my focus on something besides Jesus? Oh, we do it all the time. Some of you are doing it right now. You're already focused on lunch, and I ain't even got good and started yet, so you might as well park that car. 
But you get my point? Just being in church isn't going to give you life, but Jesus will. I could name so many things that are good things even. Gifts from God. Callings from God. But if those are where your focus is, you'll die in them. All the time thinking you're alive. There will always be this little gnawing deep down on the inside that tells you something's not right. But you, many times we just learn to ignore that and go on. But Jesus is the one that has the words of life. And if we're going to get to him, we're going to have to go outside of the camp. We're going to have, and there's one other thing I didn't mention. It says we have to also bear his reproach. Can I tell you something? Jesus was not well liked by those who considered themselves religious. By the ones who thought they were spiritual, Jesus was actually hated. And Jesus told us, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Paul told his young son in the faith, Timothy, he says, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not might, but will suffer persecution. And the Bible goes on to tell us that anyone who wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want you to note this. God doesn't make you his enemy. God's not going to do that. But if we choose friendship with the world rather than focus on God, we make ourselves, the Bible says, an enemy of God. So if we're going to truly focus on Jesus, which is where the life is at, and if we're going to truly go to Him, we're going to have to go outside of the realm of just the religious same old, same old. We're going to have to get outside of the realm of just the mechanics of religion. Listen, guys... I, If you've been in church for long, you know what to do. You know how to come in. You know when to stand up. You know when to lift your hands. You know when to sing. You know how to follow along with the words on the screen. You know when to pray. You know how to bow your head when we pray or at least close your eyes. You know how to lift your hands, either half staff or all the way. You know what to do whichever way you're going. You know what to do which way to go. We know when it's altar time. and All those things we know. We know know Christian vocabulary. You know, and I, please don't misunderstand me. If you say this, you may very well mean it, but my, my point is, and that's great, but my point is a lot of times we just say it because we've learned to say it. How are you doing? I'm blessed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I had a pastor who I really respect tell me years ago, many of us might as well just say Betty Crocker instead of praise the Lord because we say it so often. We've lost the effect. We don't even think about what we're saying when we're saying it magnify and shine a light on the glory of the sovereign creator of heaven and earth. That's what praise the Lord means. So the next time you say that, stop where you're at and realize I'm not just saying something I've got used to saying that absolutely means nothing to me anymore. I am magnifying and shining a light instead of upon my problems and my difficulties and the world around me. I am putting the light on the sovereign ruler and creator of heaven and earth who loves me and gave himself for me. Praise the Lord. You see? But if we're going to get to him, we're going to have to bear his reproach. Everybody's not going to like that. Do you know why people don't like that? Even religious people sometimes don't like that? Is because many times that actually brings conviction and shines a light on where they used to be and where the Holy Spirit's been pricking their hearts on the inside, pricking their spirits, saying, hey, you need to come home. Hey, you know, you need to get back to this place where I'm your one and only. Hey, you need to come back and understand that I'm the only one who has life. You need to spend some time with me. You haven't spent time with me in a long time. You need, you need to come on and, and spend some time with me. Not to jump through hoops, 
but because he loves you. But when we continually say no to that, and then all of a sudden somebody's just wildly pursuing him, and you know that if you've been around the Lord very long, you start to know the difference between hype and reality. You can just tell a difference in a person when they're just wildly pursuing Jesus alone. And if you're not ready to do that, that immediately brings conviction to your heart, which sometimes causes us to cast reproach upon the people who are seeking God. Well, just give them a little while and they'll calm down. I just get so tired of hearing people talk like that all the time. It's like they don't have a problem in the world. It's like God talks to them 24 hours a day. God never talks to me. Hmm. Oh, by the way, I'm not casting a finger. I've actually used that last statement before myself. Understand, if you're going to truly go to Jesus, get ready to bear reproach because everybody's not going to be... You'd think everybody would be happy, but everybody's not going to be happy. You know every one of these disciples were killed because of their faith in Christ and their witness. Every single one except John. They tried to kill him. It wasn't for lack of effort. They tried their best. They just couldn't do it. But they hated them so much. They were so threatened by this life that they had. See, here's the thing about the apostles. The New Testament church. Their life came from Jesus, not the culture around them. I'm going to say that again. Their life came from their relationship with Jesus, not from the events or the culture around them. They, you know, the Roman Empire was, a, you know, the, the, the Jewish people were oppressed and, and, and under the iron hand of the Roman Empire. But yet, for those who would just accommodate Rome, life wasn't always horrible. Matter of fact, the Romans coming into town meant they had peace because nobody was bigger than Rome at that time. So once Rome got their hold, there wasn't any other enemy that was going to uproot them. They brought roads. They brought a communication system. They brought a good economy. Now, they would tax you to no end, but they brought a good economy. And you know what? They would even let you worship God. You didn't have to just only worship. Now, I made a very strong word there. You need to catch that. You didn't have to only worship the gods of Rome. You could worship God, too. You could go to temple. You could give at temple. You know, you, you, you could worship. Matter of fact, you know, you could even say you worship Jesus. As long as you declared Caesar is Lord. As long as you accommodated the culture. You could go to church all you wanted to. You could give your tithe all you wanted to. You could listen to all the worship music you wanted to. You could wear all the Christian t-shirts you wanted to. You could put all the bumper stickers on your car that you wanted to. You, you, you can go to all the concerts and conferences and seminars that you want to as often as you want to. As long as you can talk about God. As long as you also bow your knee to Caesar. And Christians would not do that. That's why a very popular phrase, here's another one we say all the time, we don't know its origin, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And yes, He is. Praise God. But do you know where that really, really took hold? Is because the Christians, instead of declaring Caesar is Lord, they would declare, oh no, only Jesus is Lord. And we will not bow our knee to Caesar. Now realize, by not bowing their knee to Caesar, it meant death. 
By not bowing their knee to Caesar, it meant they lost their jobs. By not bowing their knee to Caesar, it meant that they went to prison and were beaten and persecuted. By not bowing their knee to Caesar, it might mean that their children were taken from them. There were all kinds of negative consequences. To If they would have just said, well, we follow Jesus, but we'll also, hey, you know, we, we need to get by in this world. Everybody's got to get by, and God understands Caesar's Lord too. But they wouldn't do that. They only would declare Jesus as Lord. And it was that phrase that was the rallying cry for the New Testament church. It may have meant their death, but ultimately it meant the death of the Roman Empire. Because from the inside out, it was destroyed as Christianity began to spread across the earth. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to many times go outside the camp and bear his reproach. He goes on to say this, we have told you to note it, we have no continuing city here, but we look for the one to come. The disciples were able to change the world and their lives were so radically changed because they weren't, and this is the meat of what I want to talk to you about today, they weren't looking for their fulfillment from anything around them. They weren't looking to derive their pleasure from anything around them. Those things they knew were found in Jesus. They looked at their world as their mission. They looked at their community as their mission field. They really believed that they were on assignment from God and they believed that this earth was not their home. Therefore, since they realized there was nothing here that would last, all the way back in the Old Testament it talks about the fact that there is a pleasure in sin, but it only lasts for a brief moment. So they weren't looking for the pleasures and the fulfillments that can come from this world because they understood that at their best, it's only temporary. How many of you, and I don't want anybody to raise your hand, but how many of you in your lifetime, many, many times in your lifetime, have thought, you know what, if I could just get this one thing or get to this one place or, or do this one thing or achieve this one thing, man, I'd really be happy. Man, that'd change everything. And you actually have gotten to some of those places now. And for a little while, you were happy. And for a little while, it changed everything until it didn't. And then what the world does is it offers you a swap. Okay, well, this other thing. That, that's good what you got, but this other thing, that'll do it. Just one more thing. Just this one more thing, and then you'll have fulfillment. Then you'll have peace. Th then everything will be all right. Just this one more thing. So you go after that, and maybe some of you have been around long enough or been blessed enough that you've fulfilled that too. And it helped you for a while. You were happy for a while until you weren't. And then the world shows up again, culture shows up again, and the enemy shows up again, and he says, well, you know, <laughs> I forgot to tell you, this one more thing. And you know what, most of the things, now, now you, the enemy will offer you horrible things that will destroy your life, but for many people, he knows that's not how he's going to trip them up, so what he offers us is good things. You know, if, if you just get married, you'll be happy. You're happy. And then you realize that don't answer everything. Well, if you just have kids, you'll be happy. You're happy. Then you realize that don't solve everything. Well, you know what? When your kids are grown and, and they have families of their own, you have grandkids, then you'll be happy. And boy, according to all you grandparents, that really gets close. But even then, I don't know that yet, but, but even then, there's still some things that are missing. So for... Then you think, well, it's just because, you know what, if I can just get out of debt or, well, if I can just get this job or, well, got the job, but I just need a promotion now. If I can just get this promotion or, 
well, I got the promotion. Really, I was wrong on this job. I hate this job. Now if I can just get another job, if I can get that job, not this job, that job, that's it. That's where I mess. So if I can just build this house, if we can just have this house of our dreams, then you get it. It's like, oh, Lord, if I could just pay off this house. And, you know, if once we get this house paid off, you know, and, and, or if I could just be healthy. There's a thousand different things. And see, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. As a matter of fact, most of the things I just mentioned are very good things. Unless they're where you're focused. Unless you think that's where your continuing city's at. Unless you find your fulfillment there. Unless that's where you take all your pleasure. Because here's the thing. If you take your fulfillment and your pleasure in any of those things, they can be gone just like that. Then what? So he said, well, I know better than that, Pastor Lynn. I know better than that. Bless God, I thank the Lord. He gave me this ministry, bless the Lord. And this ministry, oh, this ministry that God's given me, it's, oh, I'm finding so much fulfillment in this ministry. It, It just blesses me, and it does for a while until it doesn't anymore. <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way, but it's just the truth. People are very fickle at their best. People can love you today and hate you tomorrow, and you don't even know why. But I do. I, I've looked at myself in the mirror many times, not because I, I don't think I'm vain. I'm just like, Lord, God, I think I'm the same person I was when I showed up. I think I believe the same things. I think I think the same things for the most part. I have grown a little bit. Goodness gracious, in almost 30 years, you hope you'll grow a little bit. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I, I still love people. I still love you. I still, I don't think I've changed. But, man, people's opinion can change. Anybody ever experienced that? So if you put your hope in people or you put your hope in ministry or you put your hope in a calling, guess what? Just like that, it can be gone. It's a good thing. It's even a God thing. But it certainly isn't the thing. So we go to Jesus. We don't go to ministry. We don't go to calling. We don't look to the church. We don't look to other individuals. We don't even look to our family for our fulfillment. We go to Jesus. We go outside the camp bearing His reproach. We realize that we have no continuing city here. This is not it. This isn't home. This is our mission field. This is our assignment. This is where God's placed us. And because of that, it's very, very important. But yet, this is not all there is. Thank the Lord. This is not all there is. It's beautiful. Talk to, by the way, some of our travelers are back. We're glad to have you. Talk to Wally and Phyllis about Florida. It's still there, bless the Lord. I'm very grateful to know it's still there. It's still, for the most part, warm. It still has palm trees and ocean shores. And I am so thankful that it does because every once in a while, talk to a visitor here from Florida today, every once in a while, I love to go down there just to remind myself that it is not cold everywhere It doesn't snow all the time everywhere. It's not in the forecast every other day, whether it comes or not, everywhere. And just, I just love to thank the Lord that it's there. I just like, it makes me feel better knowing it's there. And every once in a while, my wife and I, especially in the wintertime, 
I don't know what it is about that, but that's when we talk about it the most. We think, Lord, sometimes it'd be nice to live in Florida. And then I realize there are problems in Florida too. But it is warmer. <laughs> but there's no continuing city here. You can live in the midst of what everybody calls paradise, but if you don't have peace in your heart, there is no paradise. There's only one home for the believer, and we're not there yet. Everywhere God puts us, we're on assignment until He comes. And actually, the word He uses for us in one place is to occupy until He comes. And the word occupy is actually a military term. And we don't like that very much because everything in us just cries out, I just want to be normal. I just want to go back to normal. I just want to live life normal. I just, and God says, it's not normal here. This is, this is a war, folks. Every once in a while, like this last few weeks, we realize there's evil, unbelievable evil in this world. But I got news for you. That evil doesn't show up on those particular days. That's just when we recognize it. That evil's there every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, lurking in the hearts and minds of people that we pass day in and day out. I don't say that to promote fear. I'm telling you that because that's why we need to take our assignment seriously. I said this morning that what happened at the altar was birthed in prayer even before today. Do you realize that when we take our assignment seriously, we can pray for people we don't know in places we've never been and the Holy Spirit can move in people's hearts and change circumstances? Do you know the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins? And there's a like many places in Scripture, there can be a double meaning to things. When you love somebody, a lot of times you look over their own faults. You look over their sins because you just love them so much. You see through that and past that and thank God for that. And that's one meaning of that verse. But I think there is a deeper meaning. I think that when we love people enough that we will take seriously the call of God on our life to hit our knees and intercede on their behalf, that the love that you express in interceding and in sharing the gospel as the Holy Spirit deals with you and allows you to share the gospel with others will reach out into people's lives and cover sins in the sense that they never get committed to begin with because they would have been but the Holy Spirit stopped it in its tracks because some Christian somewhere said yes to God in an inconvenient moment and got on their hands and knees and sought God and loved somebody that was unlovable that nobody else wanted to reach out and touch but they did and they reached them and that love covered oh my goodness a multitude of sins. Wow, what would happen if we took our life that seriously? But you see, if we, if, if we take our warfare that seriously, then we're going to have to stay focused, aren't we? You know what kills soldiers in warfare quicker than anything else? When they lose their focus. When they stop paying attention. So God calls us to understand we have no continuing city here. If you're looking for your happiness, your fulfillment, your pleasure here, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If not today, eventually. But instead of not having a continuing city here, it goes on and says, we seek the one to come. To, to mean we seek it, and we miss this, guys. To seek something means that you're actively engaged in pursuing it. 
So, so get this, guys. We're not just sitting in church worshiping God and praying and just waiting until the rapture, till Jesus comes, till the end. That's not seeking. That's just sitting. We're pretty good. We're, <laughs> I include myself. We are. I am. Let me just say me. I don't want to offend you. I'm good at that. I can sit with the best of them. Bless the Lord. But that's not what God called me to do. He said to seek the one to come. There's no continuing city here. So instead of waiting to find my fulfillment and my pleasure and my peace through something that is on this earth, even good things, I will seek the continuing city, my true home, which is to come. I'll pursue it. I'll get actively engaged in going after. Paul said it this way. I strive toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that I may lay hold or seize upon that for which Christ has laid hold or seized upon me. Otherwise, God's called me for something. Now, thank God that's all His business. If anything good's going to happen, He's going to have to be the one to do it. But here's my part. I am going to actively get engaged in pursuing what it is that He laid His hand on me for. God didn't just call me to sit. God didn't just call me to just lay around and mark time until He returns. God called me... And put me on assignment in this earth. I realize there's nothing here that's going to last. Not one solitary thing. So I am going to seek my home which is to come. And I want you to notice verse 15. And we'll get ready to close. Get ready to close. Didn't say we're closing. Okay. It says, therefore by him, Jesus, where our focus should be, let us continually. Notice this isn't just a one-time thing. It's not just something we do on occasion. Not just when we come to church. And the music's playing, and oh man, I could, I am going to go off on this just a minute. This may be our last verse. I don't know if I'll get to go much further. Romans chapter 12 says this. He said, to present your bodies unto God as a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, presenting your bodies to God. That word, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, it talks about the fact in one translation it says that this is our spiritual worship. Our spiritual worship. So, wow, worship is more than singing songs on Sunday morning. Woo, charismatics. Pentecostal full gospel folks, get a hold of that. Worship is way more than singing songs on Sunday morning. Or Wednesday or Thursday or in your car. That is a part of it, but it's a lot bigger than that. He says, therefore, continually, all the time, by Him, through Jesus, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Now, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, we've interpreted that verse for years, and, and it's not wrong. We've interpreted that verse because it says the fruit of our lips. We interpret it as singing and worship because that's what we call it anyway. So, so we, well, then if I'm really the sacrifice of praise that God wants is for me to sing, sing, sing. And that is a part of it. That is a good thing. But it's more than that. You see, first of all, he uses the word fruit. You realize for fruit to grow outwardly where you can see it, it has to have a root and a seed 
that is inward. And long before you see the fruit, that root and that seed has already been growing for some time. So what he's saying is here is through Jesus we are continually, all the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, good days, bad days, up days, down days, easy days, hard days, offer up to him the sacrifice. That word in and of itself tells me something. I don't know how many times I've offered a sacrifice. Even if we just use the definition of singing as worship, I don't even know how many times I've offered up a sacrifice praise that way. Most times pretty easy, folks. The only thing that's hard about it is if I didn't have to do this, I might still be in bed or at least just still be sipping on some coffee. But other than that, there's nothing hard about being up here singing. Listening to the music. Unless you just don't like the music we play, and then I guess it might be a little bit harder for you, but I'm sorry. <laughs> not much I can do about it, you know. But it's not hard. Guys, if that's difficult, <laughs> we got a good life. Good life. Life is easy then. That's not hard. But I can tell you when it is hard. I've had a few times it was a sacrifice. There's been a few times where I wanted, did not feel like lifting my hands to God at all. There's been sometimes it came time to sing, and I was mad at God when we were singing. Didn't understand what he was doing. Was not happy with him. Didn't feel like he was moving in my life. Didn't feel like he was answering prayers the way I wanted him to be answering prayers. And at that point, what I wanted to do was sit with my arms folded and worship, mouth the words, and get out of it as quick as I could because I didn't have any desire to sing. And I remember one particular time, and I won't go into the details. If you've been around here a long time, you've heard me say it anyway. It's when we were in the old building. I remember one particular time that, that I was in a moment like that, and I was on the front row, because back then we had rows, we had pews, and that's where the pastor sat, was on the front pew. And back then I wasn't leading worship, and I was, I was just out there in worship, and, and, I, and they were singing, and I, I, I knew everybody was probably looking at me and seeing, the you know, I'm in front, and as a pastor you're supposed to lift your hands and you're supposed to praise, and life was bad. And I was mad. If I would have had my druthers, I wouldn't have been at church at all that day, much more singing. And when I, but I knew I had to do it, and it was one of those times where you do it because you have to, not because you want to. Okay? So I started lifting my hands, and when I first started lifting my hands, just to lift them at all felt like I had a two-ton weight on them. It's the last thing I wanted to do. But the more I lifted them, the less that weight was until eventually I had my hands completely up worshiping God, singing praise to God, and the weight was gone. That's one time I know I brought a sacrifice to God because it, you know what? It cost me something. A lot of us are in here singing songs and it's not costing us anything. Matter of fact, half time we're not even halfway thinking about what we're singing. I know we're not halfway thinking about what we're singing. Because if you halfway thought about some of the things you were singing, man, God, it would be, be like a rocket going off on the inside of you, exploding on the inside if you were just thinking about what it was you were saying when you sang. And I, me too. But he says well, continually. But it's not just our songs, it's our lives. See, there's a lot of days that my flesh doesn't want to study the Word of God. <laughs> but you do. There's a lot of days you don't want to pray, but you do. There's a lot, and it's a sacrifice. 
Sometimes you just don't flat out want to love people. But especially if that person didn't love, seem like loved you very much last time you ran into them. But you know God says do it, so you do. And it's at that moment where what you're doing, your whole life becomes a sacrifice. Paul said it this way, I am being poured out like a drink offering on the altar of God. Otherwise, his whole life. And you see, we don't think about it that way because we never worshiped that way, but the Jews did. They would pour offerings, liquid offerings on the altar to God, and that was their worship to God. So he said, my whole life is being poured out as an offering. Otherwise, my worship is giving my... Today, God, I don't want to do this. But Jesus, you're worthy. So I'm going to do this with everything in me. The results are going to have to come from you. And that was true anyway before you said it. We say some stupid things sometimes. Results were going to come from God anyway, right? But God, I'm going to do it anyway. That's worship. The fruit, what was on the inside all the time, that strength, that hope, that faith that you've been building, is coming out through your lips and through your actions to God. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name, shining a light on who He is. Don't forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. There's also a place for us to show love and kindness, to do what's right, not to earn God's love, but because we have been loved by God. Obey those who rule over you, be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Not them, you. You need to know who God's placed you under. You need to go who your mentors, who your teachers, who your leaders are. You certainly should know what church God's called you to and who your pastor is. But you also need to know the people whose spiritual teaching streams you drink from you need to know those are men and women of God. You need to know that they're sound and they're solid. Because the goal is that you're going to hear the word of the Lord, you're going to do what God says, and your life is going to be transformed. He says, make sure you, you do that from your heart, because if you don't, it would be unprofitable for you. It didn't say it would necessarily be unprofitable for the one who's the leader. They, it might not give them joy, but it's not going to change what their benefit or their reward is from God, but it might for sure change yours. Let me ask you this, if you really believe that this is where God's called you to be today and you believe that this church is your home church, if you don't, that's fine. God can still move through your life. And you may just be visiting. But if you are here because you believe God's called you here, this is where you come, this is your church, that means that God's called me to be your pastor. That means that God's sovereign and that means that God knew what I was going to be preaching on today. He knew exactly what I would teach today. Because I'm teaching from His Word, then you know that the Word is correct. Now, if I interpret it correctly and I bring it forth with love, guess what? That was what you needed to hear today. What are you going to do with it? I don't know, Pastor. It just really, really didn't hit me any. Oh, then God made a mistake today. Uh, none of it touched my heart. Okay. We need to talk to God about that. Because one of two things is going on. Either you're in the wrong place, which is possible, or you're missing something. And if you're missing something and it's the Word of God, it's important. And that would be unprofitable for you. Not me. I'm going to go home and do what I was going to do anyway. I'll never know the difference, probably. But it would be unprofitable for you. 
Because why would God, why, do you, why when you were growing up did your mom prepare a meal for you that was you know, balanced and right? And why did they take the time to, to put that together? Because they wanted you to grow, to be nourished, to be fed. Why do you think God the Father would give a word for a congregation that He knows you're a part of today? Because there's something that you need to be nourished by. I'm not saying that I'm the greatest communicator in the world. I'm just saying that there's something in the Word that God gave that He wants to get across to you for your growth and for your benefit. That's why it's important for us to know those who God's put over us and to make sure that we submit to that leadership. And then notice verse 18. This is what we've been talking about from the beginning. Pray, 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 pray. Man, if there's one thing I know God's calling the church of Jesus Christ back to, it's the prayer closet. And I'm talking about, I love that we're praying here at church, but I'm going to tell you something. It can't stop there. We need to pray at home. We need to be a people who set up a place to pray in our homes on a regular, consistent basis. And Paul said, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably, but I especially urge you to do this. What? Pray for us, that I may be restored to you all the sooner. Paul's saying not just to pray. Pray like you believe that God hears and answers the prayers. Paul says, I want you to pray for us because I believe if you'll really pray, God's going to do something that's going to enable me to get restored to you quicker than if you don't. Otherwise, I believe in the power of prayer. Do you? When you're praying for that family member, do you really believe God's listening and He's going to answer? When you're praying for that job, do you really believe God's listening or he's, and He's going to answer? When you're praying for that healing, do you really believe that God's listening and He's going to answer? Pray, number one. But when you pray, pray expecting that we serve a God who's alive and engaged and loves us. We'll close with this. This time I am finishing, okay? Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace. Not the God of anxiety, or the God of fear, or the God of depression, or the God of confusion and chaos, the God of peace. Now may the God of peace, who by the way has already raised Jesus from the dead. He's a God of resurrection, a God of life, a powerful God. The great shepherd of the sheep. Psalm 23 talks about all the things the good shepherd does. Most of us know Psalm 23 by heart. If you don't, go read it today. It's powerful. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. You are in his sheepfold if you're a child of God. You belong to him. He takes personal possession of your life. He says, you are mine. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd of the sheep and he's the one who lays his life down for us so because he's the great shepherd of the sheep my wholeness my life my future my safety it all depends on the shepherd because see sheep can't take care of themselves 
That's why Jesus uses that illustration. As smart as you think you are, you're not smart enough to figure everything out. As strong as you think you are, you're not strong enough to fix the problems in your life. So Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He says, I got this. You belong to me. I take ownership of this. This problem, (laughs) if you'll let me have it, I'll make it my problem. If you're a parent, you understand that. Particularly when your kids are younger. Man, watch out. You love your kids. You can see when they do wrong. But man, when something becomes a problem for them that you know kind of aggravates you and you got power to do something about it, you show up and say, hey, that problem's my problem now. I'm going to take care of that. And what do you do? You take care of it. Don't you think that God, our Heavenly Father, is even better than that? And there are some problems you come up with with your kids that you don't have an answer for, but God's never seen the problem he doesn't have an answer for. And God's never seen the enemy that's greater or more powerful than he is. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he's cleansed us and made us whole. And I love verse 21 as we close. He made us complete. Perfect in every way. Whole. We can't make ourselves that way. He makes us that way. And He does it and He enables us to do His will, do what He's called us to do. And we find out His will by walking with Him in His Word, and it's all for His glory. If the Lord is gracious enough and good enough that I live many more years and finish out this race here, whenever I finish it, whatever good may have ever come through anything, guess what? It was all because of Him. And all the glory goes to Him. Your race is the same way. Whatever good may have ever come, it's all because of Him. And all the glory goes to Him. Now, if we start living our lives like that now, and we stop seeking the glory for ourselves, we stop being selfish, but we just want to give everything to God, and we live our lives yielded to Him, there is no limit to what God can do. Through you and me. I want you to bow your heads with me today. All depends on where your focus is. All depends on where your focus is. Father, today in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the Word of God that doesn't return empty, but always accomplishes its purpose. Today, I thank you for each person who's come into this place that has listened so attentively to the Word and participated in worship and you allowed you to move in this place. And Lord, today I come and in the name of Jesus, I ask you, Father, to just speak to each heart. Father, you know us better than we even know or understand ourselves. Father, you get us completely. Father God, you know our goings and our comings. You know our ups and our downs, our ins and our outs. Father, there's nothing about our life that is a mystery to you. You are faithful and you are compassionate. You are all wise and all powerful. So Lord, we come to you knowing knowing how glorious and majestic and holy and powerful you are, but also knowing that you've invited us. Lord, you gave us an open invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace where we know and can be confident that we'll find mercy and help in a time of need. So in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, for everyone in this room, Father God, that needs to get our focus back upon you. Lord, if our focus has been on anything or anyone else, if we've been looking to any other source, even good things, even gifts that you've given us, 
If we've been looking to any other place to find fulfillment or pleasure, God, I pray that you would convict us of that today because we're never going to find pleasure there. It's never lasting. It's always temporary. But God, I pray instead of that, that we would seek the will of God. We would seek the purpose of God. We would seek the presence of God through the Word of God. And Father God, we would allow the fruit, Lord, that's always been working up within us to come and manifest itself. And Lord, that we would give thanks to you, not only through our songs, but with our yielded lives. Father God, that we would pray with expectation. And Father God, that we would be a people who knows where you placed us. And Father, we would walk in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and allow you to make us whole. So Lord, wherever someone has a lacking in their life, where there's not wholeness, God, I thank you that you desire to complete that work in them. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the first and the last. You're the beginning and the end. Lord, you're not going to leave things half done. If we'll allow you to, you'll fix the things that are broken in our lives. So Lord, we yield to you today in Jesus' name and we welcome your presence to speak. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, if you're in this room without a relationship with Jesus, you don't know him, you've never given him control of your life, you've tried to call all the shots and fix everything yourself and it may get better for a little while but it's always temporary, it never works out. The bad news is, that's always going to be the case. The good news is you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus came. Jesus died and Jesus rose again for you. And he loves you more than you could ever realize. And he's the one you've been looking for all this time. He's the true source of peace and fulfillment and hope. And he's the one who can make your life complete. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you're not walking with him closely right now. You may have given your heart to Jesus at some point, but life has been tough. You've been battling with bitterness, resentment, anger, hurt. And you've kind of taken over the reins because you just haven't felt like you can trust God with it all. I want to challenge you. God's calling for you today. He can make you whole again. If you need to give Him charge of your life, either to make Him Lord Ask Him to be your Lord for the first time or get right with God today. If there's anybody here like that, would you lift your hand just real quickly? I want to pray for you first of all. If you don't know Jesus or you're not walking closely with Him right now, would you just lift your hand? Do you want that to change today? It can. Just lift your hand right where you're seated. Okay, secondly, you're a child of God and you know it. You love the Lord. But you've been, honestly, you've been focusing on other things. They may not be bad things, wicked things, sinful things, but your focus has been on this world. Your focus has been on all the temporary things around you instead of on the continuing city that you have in Christ. You've not been seeking that which is to come. You've been focused on what's here now. And that's robbed your peace, and it's robbed your purpose, and it's robbed your joy. The Lord's reaching out to you today to say, hey, come on home, come on back. Come on back. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to live in confusion. You don't have to live with this weight on you all the time. I've come to make you free, to make you whole. Focus on me. I'm where your attention needs to be fixed. If you know God's speaking to you about that, you need to get your focus back where it needs to be. Would you lift your hand in this room today? I want to pray for you too. Right? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? You know God's speaking to you. Just lift your hand right where you are. I want to pray for you before we close this morning. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Can we stand together? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for each one whose hands just went up. 
Lord, these are your children. And they love you and they desire to follow you. They've experienced your goodness and your grace. But it's so easy to do, God. They just got their focus on other things. Instead of you. And because of that, their peace and their wholeness and their joy has diminished. But they've recognized that through your word today. We thank you for that. They've acknowledged it. Now, God, I just thank you as they yield to you. As they begin to pursue your presence. Pursue your face. Father God, I thank you in Jesus' name that you will give them once again wholeness and peace and joy and life and that more abundantly. I thank you for encouragement. I thank you for hope arising in their hearts as they seek you where their home truly is. And we give you thanks for this day and we give you all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you. Hope you have a wonderful afternoon. No services tonight. Millennial Mondays tomorrow night at 6.30. For those of millennials here, be blessed and go in the grace of God.